more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Like a chrysalis, we're emerging from the economy of the Industrial Revolution. An economy confined to and limited by the Earth's physical resources into the economy in mind, in which there are no bounds on human imagination, and the freedom to create is the most precious natural resource. Welcome to the Soul of Enterprise, Business in the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by SAGE, energizing the success of businesses and communities around the world through the imagination of our people and smart technology. I'm Ron Baker, along with my good friend, Verisage Institute colleague and co-host, Ed Kless. And today, folks, we're going to be talking about some economic puzzles and paradoxes in celebration of Tax Day. Hey, Ed, happy Tax Day. Yay! Yay! <laughs> oh, yay. Um, actually, it's really technically not until Monday, right, Ron? Is, the, is that is. is the day that you have to have your taxes due. So if you're listening to the show live and thinking, oh, my God, I didn't file, you have until Monday. So get them done over the weekend. Yep, you um, can more important, all, all weekender. <laughs> yeah, yeah. More importantly, though, Ron, is, is actually not this coming Saturday, tomorrow – but the following Saturday, April twenty third, is Tax Freedom Day. That's the that's the one that I care about. Yes. Tax, uh, tax explain day, that, Ed. Yeah, Tax Freedom Day, of course, is the day that that in theory, if you're working so far from January first until April twenty third, and the governments of ver- of all ilks, so federal, state, local, all of that stuff. On average, in the United States, it would t- take you until April twenty third to work completely for the government, and now. As of April 24th, you're now working for you. About time. <laughs> yeah, and I know there's another calculation on that that includes the state tax burden. So that one's just I'm pretty sure this one tax. does. I, that, oh, no, does I that think, take into Yeah, I think this is the one that I was looking at. I, you know, and, and of course, the date changes from year to year. Sure. And different research outfits have different dates. But I think the one that I was looking at said that this year it's the 23rd and includes on average all taxation. And of course, then, you know, in it, you have to figure there are people who don't pay taxes. So blah, 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 blah. But anyway. Right. Yep. Because and some people like me who live in California are going to pay a higher state tax than you on average. So (laughs) keep telling you, Ron, you got to move to Texas. And I keep telling you, I can't afford the U-Haul. <laughs> That's right. I know. It's eight times more. Maybe I should just Uber it out there. Yeah, just Uber it. That's good. Just Uber. Call up the Uber. Go to, I'm going to Texas. <laughs> Cheaper than well, U-Haul. Anyway, so what do we got, Ron? Well, I know we have a lot of CPAs out there who are probably uh, you know, grinding away this today and over the weekend uh, up to the deadline. You'll probably listen to the show on demand, but... Uh, what what we really wanted to lead with, Ed, was do corporations pay taxes? And right. and this came up, you know, this came up with some conversations I had at the Libertarian Convention that we covered in Texas uh, last last Friday, which was great fun, by the way. 
Yeah. Really enjoyed that. And uh, it's also it also came up when uh, I spoke to your uh, uh, county libertarian group in Texas uh, last yes. year, right? Yeah, Michael Michael Lee, friend of mine. Uh, for, I think he's he's from Houston, though. Anyway, but yeah, good guy. Uh, yeah, he said he he's he, he was genuinely concerned by the, your phrase because one of the things you said during the presentation is that corporations don't pay taxes, and then he said, well, if that's true, we should just increase them. Right. We should get all our tax revenue from the corporations from, because then they don't, don't. nobody bear. But that kind of misses the point that, and that right. is the whole point. And what I want to talk about to answer this question, do corporations pay taxes, is something economists call the incidence of taxation. And this okay. is a, an incredible body of scholarship. If you just, if you Google incidence of taxation, you will be overwhelmed <laughs> at the, right. uh, the number of you know reports and and writings on this, but the idea basically are, there's two fundamental principles to tax incidents, it, and that is one, the tax is either going to fall on an inelastic agent who's going to bear the burden of taxation, or it's going to fall on an elastic agent. Um, inelastic agent, think of a car dealership, you know, like a brick and mortar. Think of a oil company going into a specific state for, for the oil, right? Mm -hmm. That's an inelastic agent. They're, they they can't just pick up and go where the tax rates are the lowest. They got to go where the oil is. Understood. Okay. Yeah. So they've got, they've got to go where whatever the natural resource is, or, uh, you know, I, I guess if, if for a bet, money, another example is if you're going to, if you're going to produce maple syrup, you're going to Vermont. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. Or maybe, or maybe if you're growing bananas, you know, you're go, you're, you're limited by various climates, right? Sure. You, okay. You could yep. be going yep. off to Minnesota. That's an inelastic agent because you you can't move very well. But an elastic agent can pick up, like Bill Gates or, you know, Mark Zuckerberg or the Google guys. They could pick up and move anywhere they wanted, mm -hmm. right? Because they don't really have physical infrastructure. Everything is in the mind, pretty much. Uh, that would be an elastic agent. But the second, and and that's the first. That's the first principle. The second principle, though, is eventually <laughs> the burden of all taxation, I don't care what you call it, falls upon we individuals because there's nobody here but us people. Right. So bottom line is corporations a fiction. Now, it's a legal fiction, and I'm not arguing whether you know that's good or bad or whatever. I mean, you know, the, the, the joke, it's got no, <laughs> no butt to kick and no soul to damn, right? Right, right, uh, right. But the point is that a corporation is just a, a an agglomeration of people. Now it could mm -hmm. be one person, but it, it's usually you know several people get together and decide to to pull their resources into this entity we call a corporation, and so the incidence of the tax has got to fall on those people. Now the question is, which people? Well, if you think about a corporation, right? A, the the tax, the corporate tax we're talking about, could fall on the actual shareholders, the owners of the corporation, they could bear some of the brunt or maybe all the right. brunt. Consumers, if the corporation can pass the price on to the consumers of the corporate tax, then they'll be glad to do so. Um, right. Or it could fall on the workers. Mm -hmm. And the big debate in the literature around the incidence of the corporate income tax is what are the proportions? How much do each of those three categories, because those, those are the only three categories of humans inside of a corporation right. That, uh, right. That, that directly relay. I mean, I know there's stakeholders 
but those are the only ones that actually have any financial dealings with the entity as the workers, the shareholders, and the, and the actual customers. So what's the proportion? And the literature is, is I think, <laughs> from my reading on this, the literature is pretty overwhelming that the largest share falls on the workers. Right. I would, and, I would absolutely agree with that. And I would say the second largest, and, and look, I don't know where it is. I've seen, I've seen 50%. I've seen as low as a third fall on workers, and I've seen as high as 90 95% fall, say they, it falls on the workers. Um, wherever it is, I think the second largest category is the, are the shareholders. Because unless you're in a very, um, you know, a market that's got an inelastic demand, like like gasoline, right? So mm-hmm. if the price goes up, we can't really adjust our driving habits quick enough. We still have to buy the same amount of gas, mm-hmm. right? So when the price at the pump goes up, the revenue at gas stations goes up because it's got an inelastic demand curve. And unless you're selling something that's got an inelastic demand curve like that, then it's going to be really hard for you to pass the tax on to the customer. Yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah. I do see that, but I, I do think that that you know, as much as we preach against against this, uh, people do factor their costs into their price, and and one of the, the the things that they tend to do is when costs go up, they jack their prices up. Doesn't mean they'll they get them. By the way, it just means that they do increase them. Right. No, and this is and and this is a tendency that if you have right, and I I see your I see your point though about inelastic versus elastic that 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 makes sense. I I I, my my guess though is that it's it believe I would think that it's it's falling more on the customers than than you would tend to think. I could be wrong. I don't have no no evidence to back that up. I'm just just and and look, it's really hard to gather the evidence on that. Yeah, Yeah. 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 This is really a tricky area to study because a lot of the times, you know, if you just think about it, when we're in economic slumps, we tend to reduce tax rates. And then when the economy is doing really well, we tend to raise them, which makes it very difficult to, you know, (laughs) to piece out the effects of what's going on, right, over a period of years or a decade or whatever. So, um, but there's, (laughs) I think there's little doubt that, Certainly, corporations don't pay taxes. I mean, uh, the only people that don't seem to get this are politicians who love to say that corporations don't pay their fair share or occupy, you know, protesters. I mean, I just saw Bernie Sanders call General Electric immoral um, because, you know, they're not paying their fair share, whatever that is. But the fact is, corporations don't pay taxes. I just the, the whole premise is flawed from the get go. That's correct. So let, so we're 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 dismissing the whole fair share argument, which is nebulous anyway, because who gets to decide what fair share is? Oh, Bernie, Bernie gets to decide what fair share is. Okay, um, <laughs> so it always it always comes down to whoever is saying I don't think so and so should pay their fair share. Okay, who gets to decide what fair share is? Well, me. I mean, they won't say that, but that's ultimately it. But we're dismissing that argument, right, Ron? We're not even we're not even tackling that concept of fair share. We're just saying that doesn't matter. Right, you can call fair share all you want. The corporation does not bear the majority, if not all, of the burden of that taxation, because the the corporation as an entity is going to figure out a way to pass that along somewhere else in the chain. Right, and you know, it, um, I'm looking at some uh, testimonies, 
And Kevin Hassett from the American Enterprise Institute gave testimony back in February of this year to the House and Ways and Means Committee. And he basically said, look, the literature on this incidence is pretty overwhelming that the corporate income tax at its current rate, which is the highest in the world in the United States of America, being at 35 percent, is 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 causing harm to the economy. It's causing causing slowdown in economic growth, less investment. It's causing corporations to keep uh, money parked overseas because of the the worldwide tax system that we have, which we can talk about, Ed, when we get back. Um, but he was basically saying, look, the evidence is overwhelming. Hassett's one of the people who believe that the incidence largely falls almost exclusively on the workers. Yeah, and I and I tend to agree with that. And wh- when we get back, Ron, I'm going to give you my non-economists arm, you know, armchair view of of how I can sort of prove that. But right now, we're going to take our first break. But we want you to to remind you that you can get a hold of us at asktsoe at verisage.com. Please love for you to visit the website at thesoulofenterprise.com, where we put up show notes, including notes about this show and all previous shows, and you can re-listen to past episodes. Please keep the reviews coming on iTunes. We had two more reviews come in last week. We love that. And I want to point out one other place on our website that we'd hope that you would take a look at, and that is our live events page. Ron and I do a tremendous amount of speaking, and we're doing more and more of it as the summer months heat up and into the fall. So if you are a listener of the Soul of Enterprise and would like to catch us at some live event that are, in many cases, open to the public, we would love for you to check on those. And if you've got any questions about that, please just feel free to send us an email at asktsoe at verisage.com. But right now, we want to hear from our sponsor and social media guru consultant, Leading Results. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You've experienced it. Marketing and selling has changed dramatically in the last few years. The search engine has completely altered the way customers buy. Your clients are now driving the process their way. At Leading Results, we know how to work with this. We don't just jump in and start doing. Together, we plan your marketing strategy. Install a website that gets results and create lead generation programs that drive sales. Visit leadingresults.com slash TSOE to find out more and to schedule a 30-minute conversation with us. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. 
Ah, yes, it is April 15th, the day with which we must, well, actually, it's not true because it's not until Monday, but the traditionally known as the, the tax day here in the United States, and Ron and I are talking about economics, puzzles, and paradoxes, and the one that we're really dealing with the most today is this notion of corporations and paying taxation and who really bears the burden. And, and Ron concluded by saying that most testimony, and I think the, the evidence is overwhelming in this favor as well, that the, the burden really does fall on the workers of the organization. And Ron, here's, here's my proof uh, of this. Uh, and just see if you have follow along the logic. I've consulted with th- thousands of businesses in my career. And I've been a, been a business owner myself. And I can tell you that in every single instance where a conversation was to be had about deciding whether we were going to hire an, an employee, right? Yep. It, there was this part of the conversation. Well, we, we expect that a junior consultant is going to get paid $75,000 a year, Right. All right, we need to we we need to we need to multiply that out by some factor to cover the total burden for this person. And I've seen you know depending upon the industry, it ranged from one point three five all the way up to double, right? Yep, so we just sure. double person salary, and it's one hundred and fifty thousand dollars, and that's what we as an organization need to budget to bring someone on board in this role, right? Well, guess what? What what did what did that include? <laughs> the, the taxation, right? The, ta- the the tax that you were going to pay for that person, and th- this includes the 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 uh, the income tax as well. You know, the, wh- whoever came up back in the '30s, this the whole idea of the Social Security and Medicare, and and this you know cost sharing arrangement where the employee supposedly pays half, and then the employer pays the other half. This is just brilliant politics. It was brilliant. It right? was because I got to tell you, as a business owner. I never thought that the employee was kicking anything in. Now it was deducted from their paycheck. It got passed along from the in the W two, and it looked like they were paying it half of right? it. Yeah, half of it, right? But but the reality was is we were accounting for that when we hired them in the first place, right? Yep. So it was it, it wasn't like if if suddenly that that went away, <laughs> you know the. You know, so so the so the the reality was is that we were we had budgeted and accounted for that in our our hiring decision. So who's bearing that burden? Certainly not me as the business owner. I accounted for it already, and I'm passing along to the worker. Period. End of story. And I cannot, in any conversation that I have ever had with a business owner, and again, this has been in thousands of organizations. Can can I can I sit say that I remember it going down any differently? Yep. No, it's absolutely right. And that's, I think this is one of the counterintuitive things about this whole study of the incidence of taxation. It's not the person who remits the money or the entity that remits the money that bears the burden of the tax. Right. Right. That's, what they, that's why they call it the incidence of taxation because it's trying to figure out who actually bears the burden. I've actually gotten into arguments, Ed, with CPAs who I mm-hmm. think should know better, but I'm learned, I've learned that they, some of them don't, that – they say, well, corporations pay tax. They, I have clients in their corporations, and they, I see them cut the check. It's like, yeah, but that doesn't it, it doesn't mean that the burden falls on the corporation. I mean, That's I right. wish my Acura paid its you know licensing fee, 
But fact of mm-hmm. the matter is it doesn't because only people can pay taxes. Or I wish my house paid its real estate tax. Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, yeah. and, and the same with Social Security. I've gotten in arguments mm-hmm. with people about who bears the employer's half, so-called, of the Social Security. It's obviously the employee. Obviously. Employer, obviously. Just based on your anecdotal story. Right. But I'll tell you a group. And, and, and you know, just just to put this in perspective – one of the things that Kevin Hassett pointed out to the House and Ways is is the the U.S. corporate income tax rate is the highest in the world. We used to be the second highest, but I think Japan finally lowered theirs. We have a 35% rate. The next closest is France at 34. The United Kingdom's down to 19%, I believe it goes to this year. Canada's at 15%. And the lowest rate, oh, Canada. World, yeah, the lowest rate in the world is Switzerland at 9%. Mm-hmm. Yep. So... The trend has yeah. been downward, and of course, we're competing against all these companies. So, you know, we wonder why there's tax ever, uh, inversions, right? When a U.S. corporation maybe buys a foreign corporation that's domiciled somewhere else, um, then they get to be headquartered outside the, outside the U.S. Well, and therefore, wasn't this the whole Burger King Tim Hortons thing, right? Absolutely, yeah. Happened a couple of years ago. So you know, a, a more recent example. I think there is one tax rate higher on, but it's it's United Arab Emirates, but it's only on oil, right? I, th- yeah, I think that's yeah, how that's they, right. They, I've seen, yeah. You know, yeah. So if you go and look at the listing, you'll see like U.S. is listed as number two, and I think UAE is listed as number one. But it's it's, it's only on oil companies, which of right. course is and the I, massively large part of the economy. But and, and you know the list I'm looking at that ranks these is from the OECD, which is kind of a mm-hmm. rich you know country club. I mean, it doesn't include like you you know that example, and it probably wouldn't include North Korea. Which has effectively yeah. got you know like a seventy five percent corporate income tax rate, probably maybe more Cuba or something right. like that. Uh, but the it, the interesting thing Ed about this is if you you go to the other side of the argument, I I was just doing some research on this this morning and I found uh, an outfit called the Tax Justice Network. Anytime I see the word justice in somebody's uh, you know name, I I my antenna goes up. Uh, but this, they call themselves kind of a think tank for activists, and they want to make uh, you know corporate taxation more fair, or taxation in general more fair. So they fight against offshore tax havens and all of these types of things. But they have an article on their blog called "Corporate Tax: The Great Incidents Hoax." And oh, okay, bring it they, on, bring it on, bring it on. What's their argument? Even though they quote a UK tax official who says the consensus among economists, at least, is that predominantly the employees foot the bill of the corporate <laughs> tax. And they say, well, this is nonsense. It, in fact, it's the opposite that's true. Um, it, let me give you one of their ideas. They say the, cl- the claim that the burden falls on the owner shareholders but on workers, do they seriously believe that corporate bosses uh, would voluntarily pass the benefits of a tax cut on to their workers? <laughs> <laughs> That's that's one of their arguments against it. And they say corporate bosses always behave as if the tax burdens fall on shareholders. Would they spend so much time and energy if they didn't believe that, trying to figure out ways to you know avoid the tax? Um, and they also argue if the corporate taxes don't fall on the shareholders, then why do shareholders and investment intermediaries behave as if they do, right? Because share prices are so responsive to unexpected changes in expected corporate tax bills. And... Mm-hmm. They also say, well, you know, 
this idea that corporations are sitting on oceans of cash, um, then they say, why don't they pass some of that idle cash on to the workers now? What, in other words, why haven't they raised the, the wages of the workers already? And this is a classic example of seen and unseen mm-hmm. effects, right? Yep. yep. Because yep. What, what, you know, the reason we know or the reason Hassett, Kevin Hassett from the American Enterprise Institute, one of the reasons for the big argument that it falls on the workers is because corporate income taxes reduce investment in in capital assets, whether it's computer software or, or whatever, equipment, machinery or whatever, that makes each employee more productive, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's activity that drives wages. Right. <laughs> you know, government can mandate a minimum wage. They can't mandate productivity increases. No. And, and it's productivity increases that, that drive wages higher. And mm-hmm. that's what's this argument, I think, is just completely missing. But what they're saying is that tax cuts increase the economic resources of corporations and their bosses, which leads to greater inequality. And I'm just thinking, again, this kind of goes back to a point Rabbi Lappin made the other week. But what type of power does you know, uh, Cook, what's his name? Steve Cook have over us as as Apple CEO. Oh, Tim Tim Cook. Tim, Tim Cook. Cook yeah. Tim Cooks. Sorry. Yeah. What kind of power do these corporate bosses have? I mean, really, can they make me buy their product? No. My wife Christine with thinks that that Tim Cook probably does have that power over me because whenever a new iPhone comes out, you know, I'm like, oh, <laughs> let me get the iPhone. <laughs> So maybe maybe it's true. Maybe there's a little bit going on there. But well, I'll I'll agree with you though, Ron. That 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 it it is completely missing the forest for the trees. I mean, (laughs) it's 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 looking at it for I don't know. It's the opposite ends of the telescope. I guess is the best way to describe it. Is like, well, how how can you not see that 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 what what you're saying is complete nonsense? Because your your wage. Is a price. Yes. Right? Yes. <laughs> Your yeah. wage is a price. Absolutely. And, 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 and look, uh, this is another thing that's been universally true in all of the companies that I've ever worked with. They manage the, it, the tax expense item, line item on, their, on their, their P&L like they manage every other expense item. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Yeah. And, you know, what these guys at the Tax Justice Network say is that they believe that it, the, the burden of corporate taxes falls largely on the owners of capital, which are predominantly wealthy people. So this is great for the whole inequality, you know, issue. Right. But here's the problem, Ed. This is another problem, again, of the seen and the unseen. At least in America, 50 percent of the population owns stocks. Yep. And you know who some of the biggest investors are? Unions. Unions. <laughs> Where do you think they have their pensions? You know, mm. <laughs> they're they're investing in these corporations. And and if it's true that this is all good, then why do we have the highest rate of corporate income tax and yet still have the highest inequality that these very same people are complaining about all the time? Because it's not enough. It's not enough, Ron. If it was just higher, if it was higher, there would be less inequality. I I, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's kind of goes back to the whole fairness thing, right? What's fair? They'll never give you a number because there's not a number that exists. It's just higher. Right, right. Fair is is more. That's it's just whatever your number is. Mine is more because that's not fair. 
But, you know, the rational argument against this, Ed, is we've got a 35% and the OECD rich countries have an average of 23%. And the problem with the corporate income tax rate at these levels is it's bad for investment. It's it's bad for multinationals. And here's the point I wanted to make. I know we got to run to a break. But, you know, the United States has a worldwide taxation system on corporations, meaning we tax them wherever they earn the money. Every other country on the planet has a territorial tax system, meaning you only pay tax within the borders where you earn the money. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the problems. We need to switch to a territorial tax rate, and therefore these corporations wouldn't have an incentive to keep trillions of dollars overseas, right? Because well, as soon as they repatriate it, they're going to get banged again. And I've made this this point too, is, is and I know on the show, but, but don't they have a fiduciary responsibility to do that? Could, do. Couldn't. Couldn't I mean I don't know if they but is there, couldn't there the SEC come in and say you know you're not trying to minimize your expenses, yep and 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 therefore you're you're not you're not maximizing your shareholder wealth therefore you're in trouble with the SEC. Yep. No. Absolutely. And and the other point that needs to be made about corporate taxes is they're only about ten percent of total federal revenues, and you know what they're equal in the OECD countries they're equal to about three percent of GDP. In the U.S., it's it's two point three percent, and and yet one half of corporate profits are taxed at the highest marginal rate, and so it's obvious that you know we're we're getting very little uh, return for this um, in ter- uh, compared to the harm that it's imposing on the economy in terms of these disincentives to invest or bring money back home or or whatever, and so All right. I, so. That's well, when, I, when we get when we get back, I want when we get back from Derek, I want to ask you about the Laffer curve because I think that that's where we're we're treading into that kind of conversation. We also have a couple of emails and tweets that we want to deal with, so maybe we'll deal with that, Ron, when we get back, and then we'll pick up on the taxation question after we deal with those uh, emails and questions that we've got from from listeners. But right now, we're going to take our break, and I want to remind you that you can get a hold of us at asktsoe at verisage.com and keep those tweets coming to hashtag asktsoe. In fact, that's what we're going to deal with is a couple of questions or just ideas that were posed to us on Twitter, and we do follow and monitor that not only during the show, but after the show. So anytime, anywhere, just hashtag ASK. T-S-O-E, and we will pick that up. But right now, we want to hear from our sponsor, Azamba. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. We believe great companies can become even greater by challenging the status quo within their companies. The latest challenge to your status quo? The way people buy has changed. Buyers now control the majority of the front end of the sales process. Sellers must learn to facilitate a buying process, not conduct a sales process. Social buying signals are an opportunity for sales. Learn more. Go to quantacrm.com slash ABC to request a copy of the white paper, Always Be Closing, a guide to the new art of social selling. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? 
I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network. tuned into the soul of enterprise with ron baker and ed class to find out more about our show visit us on the web at the soul of you can also chat with us on twitter using hashtag ask tsoe now back to the soul of enterprise well welcome back everybody we're here doing uh do corporations pay taxes and other economic puzzles and paradoxes and we wanted to uh take some uh, listener questions because we've got, we just had some great questions Ed come in uh, via Twitter and email and I'm not we're not going to be able to do them all but Bryce one of our regular listeners has I think asked us a, a just a terrific question I, he's got an email here and I'd like to read it he says Ron and Ed I've listened to several episodes of your show now where you guys attack the idea of professional licenses for doctors lawyers etc because they impede innovation and decrease competition. And yes, we have Bryce. That's one of the arguments that Melton Friedman uh, used to make about it. And he says, and you've slowly gotten me to agree with you. He said, then the other day I was talking about the immigration debate with a friend and realized something is requiring citizenship or visa to the U.S. to work here. Not the same basic problem as requiring certain professional licenses. Are the same arguments for tighter immigration policies not the same as those for the need for licenses in the professions? Couldn't you then argue that citizenship requirements have the same ill effects on our economy, slowing innovation and decreasing competition? Perhaps this is something that's already been discussed. Your thoughts? Well, thanks, Bryce. That's a, <laughs> that's a very, very interesting and I believe somewhat complicated question. But, Ed, I'll let you, uh, you tackle it. Yes, yes. Yes, and right on Bryce. <laughs> he has three. So, yeah, no, I think I think he's he, I think he's nailed it. I think this is a, this is an, a fantastic analogy. And yes, I do believe that we would be be better off if we had a minimum requirement in terms of of letting people come into the United States. Now, not necessarily um, citizenship. Um, I, I think that there's, uh, but I, but I do think a right to work and I, I, I equate it th- this way, you know, uh, the, the federal government has jurisdiction over citizenship, right? Yep. So it, it, it can determine what, who is and is not a, a citizen and the rules for how one goes about becoming a citizen. But in theory, if you're const- even a strict constitutionalist, you because ha- that they, they refers in the constitution to naturalization, setting the process for naturalization. Mm-hmm. But that w- that would mean that the ninth and ninth and tenth amendments would then take place. That since this the federal constitution is silent on it, that they would default to the state. So I think each state should be allowed to set its own immigration policy based on uh, on you know need, needed jobs. In, in, in that particular state. 
and allow immigrants to come in, and we, especially on a, a temporary work visa, you know, say 18 months or so. Uh, and and their only threshold be all right. Are, have you been convicted of a crime in your home country, or have you or or, or do, can you can you pass a you know a blood test a, from a disease standpoint, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Which which basically, my guess is that the majority of the people in the United States living today, their ancestors came in on those two same basic criteria, because that that's what they were testing at Ellis Island, right? right? Yep. Were, were you a known criminal? And are, are, do you have some significant serious disease? Yeah, and, and psychological problems. Yeah, yeah. They, they, that was one of the questions, too. I know this because when I was in Germany, I went to an immig- immigrant museum, and um, it, they have a, a thing where you land at Ellis Island, and it's a, simu- it's a great simulation, and, and they, you actually sit, stand at a computer and answer the exact same questions that the immigrants were asked. And... Mm-hmm. Uh, I was denied entry. <laughs> oh, that's rich. And I that think it's because that I didn't have any money in my pocket. And I think I, well, I blew it too. And I said, I didn't, I didn't know anybody here in the States. Oh, okay. Okay. And, yeah. I, and I think that's what, that's what kicked me out. But yeah. Right. right. So kind of glad I was born here after that. But Bryce, you made me think, and, and uh, that's a good point. Ed. I, 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 you know, I'm going to have to chew on that about the States, uh, deciding but what what Bryce's question made me think about is during the 30s you know as people were in droves leaving Germany right because of the rise of Hitler a lot of them were you know educated doctors and 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 of Jewish origin and all of that um and our licensing bodies here the the medical profession in order to give them reciprocity on their license made them take an English test now mm-hmm. you know a lot of these guys, people didn't speak really good English yet and what that had to do with their medical skills, I think, is, you know, open for debate. And to this day, some occupational licensure still, you know, uh, put in an English uh, English test, English comprehension test. And that's clearly to, you know, keep competition out. So mm-hmm. there's no doubt that if you look at a, uh, an area like Silicon Valley, I think the last statistic I saw was something like one-third of the entrepreneurs in the valley are immigrants, right? Mm-hmm. You look at the Google guys, and and um, I, I found this too. The WhatsApp. Remember WhatsApp? Didn't that sell? To oh yeah. For eighteen. Well, one of the co-founders of WhatsApp is is a guy named Jan Combe, who's a Ukrainian immigrant. Who get this? Upon arriving with his mother in Mountain View, California, at the age of sixteen, he lived on government assistance, including food stamps. Mm. Now. You know, this kind of is the Einstein argument that no matter what the cost of immigration is uh, in terms of government benefits and health care and education, all that, just regardless of that, whether it's positive or negative, if we get one Andy Grove, if we, you know, if you get one Mark Zuckerberg, one Sergey Brin or whatever, it all mm-hmm. makes it wild because they create a tremendous amount of jobs, a tremendous amount of wealth. And, and I, th- I think there's something to that argument. And it mm-hmm. also fosters innovation and dynamism. So, Bryce, it's a great question. Uh, obviously, there's very powerful arguments on both sides of this. Um, and just to give you the opposite side, um, people that would say, no, you know, you still need to control immigration because we, you know, we're a country and a country is comprised of borders and language and culture. 
um, I, I would suggest the writings of Thomas Sowell because um, he, you know, he believes in more control of immigration, not just letting everybody in. But there is certainly something to the argument that if you allow you and capital to come in, you, you probably will get more innovation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I mean that, that's where I think I fall, Ron. Is it that 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 clearly, from an economic standpoint, I- immigration in almost any form is 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 a net positive to the country? I, you know, I get where you're coming from, and Seoul's coming from on the cultural thing. I, I I just tend to believe that over over time, the cultural thing sorts itself out, and we do we do absorb because you know the same arguments that. You hear today against people coming in. Oh, they're not learning the language. Blah blah blah. Well, that was said about the Germans. That was said about the Italians, uh, even the Irish to a certain extent. Even though they they spoke the language, but their certainly their religion was held against against them. And, and my ancestors, uh, you know, Irish need not apply as a sure. is worn as a bear, bear, badge of honor in in New York City. Then you know now that now that uh, that that uh, the Irish have overcome so many of these hurdles. So anyway. Anyway, good, great question, Bryce. Um, yeah, we got a, we, we have another question, Ron, and I think what we should do is to, is take the break just a tad early and then just pick it up because I do want to deal with this. I think it's a it's a very interesting question from, and this one came in on on Twitter. So what we'd like you to do is just to remind you that you can get show notes at thesoulofenterprise.com. We also do previews of our upcoming show, so you'll know what's coming up in the next week. Uh, and again, we also have all of our live events out there, uh, I think through the end of, of May or June. So if you're interested in seeing any of us, myself or Ron, uh, sometimes we're in, in both places as we will be this weekend in Houston at the ITA conference. We'd love to see you. But right now we want to hear from our sponsor and my employer, Sage. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Four new employees. A 20% increase in revenue. Being one of the 9 million women business owners in the U.S. These are your proudest numbers, your landmarks of growth and success. Sage helps you achieve business milestones with cloud and software solutions that lead to deeper financial insights. Believe in your numbers. See what Sage can do for your business. Visit believeinyournumbers.com today. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. 
And one of those questions coming in on hashtag AskTSOE is from BJ underscore Lee underscore. And Ron, he asked this. Uh, how is it that no one gets paid on the Starship Enterprise? <laughs> yep. <laughs> you know, really a pretty interesting question. And now I, I have to admit, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a, a fan of the show, but I'm not a hardcore, like, you know, can cite chapter and verse from from Star Trek or any of the the newer versions, Next Generation. I I, I like Star Trek and Star Wars equally well, which I know is heresy for a lot of people. You got to be one or the other, right? But um, but but I but you know I I know a little bit about this, but we went to a higher authority on this one, didn't we, Ron? We did. We went to our friend, our mutual friend Robert Wood, who kind of knows everything about sci-fi. <laughs> You name it. This guy just kind of knows everything. And he said, there isn't money per se in the Federation. You do your job because it's for the greater good. And then he quotes from, is it Captain Picard from the next generation? Jean-Luc Picard. (laughs) Who says, the economics of the future is somewhat different. You see, money doesn't exist in the 24th century. The acquisition of wealth is no longer the driving force in our lives. We work to better ourselves and the rest of humanity. And apparently in Star Trek, there, there were money. There was money. It just nobody used it. And Robert also said it's kind of because it's kind of a socialist utopia because there's transporters and there's replicators. So it's kind of a – I think thought of it as a, kind of like a post-scarcity you know, scarcity society, Ed. Right, right. And I, look, I, I've thought about this, and I, I think there there will be a time, it, barring you know major sunspot eruption or something, that uh, that 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 human beings will will no longer have a need for currency in 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 any meaningful way because we're we're clearly on a tra- trajectory for abundance, right? That it that. As I guess, I guess we'll be doing our jobs for our own purposes or our own own good. But there's there there will be a, t- a time of abundance, and and money won't be as as important. You know, you I think we're already starting to see little bits of that in in research. And I don't I know you don't buy into all of this, and I, I don't know that I I do either. But I think there might be a little something to it. This happiness research, Ron, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that says basically once you get I don't know whatever it is forty about twenty thousand dollars per individual or forty thousand uh, dollars for for a family that people are not significantly happier who earn beyond that. I mean they're a little happier, but they're not significantly happier. So I th- I think we're starting to see the beginning evidence of that because despite what what I think a lot of people will tell you and oh real wages are down I, you know the, that real wage argument makes me nuts because it's the standard of living that's important yep. and you know when this when the standard of, standard of living is that you know m- most public assistance uh, housing units have air conditioning in the summer well that you know that was not the case 20 or 40 years ago that's a, that's a significant increase in the standard of living. Now, I'm not saying I want to go out and live in public housing, but what I am saying is that it's 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 better than it than it was. Oh, absolutely. Right? Yep. The measurements and, don't and take a, in, and a cell phone, right? Just a yeah. Cell, the measurements know, a exactly. The, the measurements don't take into account the quality of the goods. The fact that a car from 40 years ago is nowhere near a car, even a cheap car built today. 
Right. Let, right. let exactly. alone the, the, the phones and the computers and, and all the other gadgets that we use. But uh, great question, BJ. And he asked us another one, too, Ed, which is uh, something you've come up with, which I just love. He, uh, BJ asked us, is there a word for that double thank you, you know, <laughs> moment that we all notice at the cash register when we buy something? And that is a very interesting phenomenon. You know, when you buy something, you say thank you, and the, and the clerk says thank you because, of course, you're both winning. So, right. Ed, you came up with a great word for this. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 under the heading of it always sounds better if you put it in a foreign language. You know, we, 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 you know we, we've talked about your Farniente story and, you know, the opening of that story is that Farniente is Italian for do nothing and it's a great name for a winery. And, you know, if you, if you, you don't, you don't name, you don't name a restaurant, you know, Louis's house, you name it Chez Louis, you know, and it's, it sounds yep. better. Right. So under that, I, and I, I thought that German would be the best place to go for this because, you know, there's that, you know, Dankeschen, it's such, it's such, that's such a great word for that, Dankeschen, right? Well, if if we t- take the the thanks part of that, which is Duncan, and then put an, and then slam it on top of the word for second, which is uh, uh, Zeist, right? So it's mm. Duncansweit, Duncansweit, <laughs> and that's like <laughs> so. That it means that means it means double thanks, thanks, double thanks. Love it. That's great word. So we're trying to make that part of the vocabulary now. <laughs> yeah. So the the du- Duncansweit moment. <laughs> So that's excellent. So BJ, thanks for that great those great questions. Really interesting. Even though I had no clue on the first one. <laughs> so shout shout out to Robert Wood for his input on yep. that. That was great. And Ed, we got one more email that again is just a really fascinating question. It's from a regular listener, Gare, and he says, "Hi Ron." He says, "I'm uh, and Ed." He says, "I'm listening to your podcast about risk, which is what we did last week." He says, right. "It's a very interesting topic, and you and Ed are discussing this in a brilliant way." Lots of examples and references. Your show notes are very useful also. My list of books to read gets longer and longer after every <laughs> podcast. Don't worry about that, Gare. We call that your anti-library. And yes. your anti-library is no problem because they're, they're books that sit there and taunt you. And yep. uh, <laughs> any one of them might change your life. So it's a good thing to have. And he says, when will I have or take the time to read them? I really don't know. He said, could you make a podcast? on which great thinkers you should follow in the years to come. Today, wow. changes happen happens fast. New business models evolve overnight. Where and how can we keep up on knowledge concerning innovation, tech, new business thinking, etc.? The soul of enterprise is one source. Are there any others to recommend? Cheers, Gare. So thank, thanks, Gare. And, and Ed, what... Um, I know we kind of deal with this because we talk about mentors we have and authors we love and all of that, but who, who do you kind of follow looking out into the future? Yeah, and, and first of all, I want to uh, just just thank him for the comment because I'm so honored by that, that he thinks that our, our, of our show as, as, as a source for that. that. That's just fantastic, and it makes me... Makes me smile. Makes me give me a high satisfaction day. But uh, you know, man, there's so many of them, Ron. I mean, Clayton Christensen, I still think is doing some brilliant work. Yes. Um, and uh, well, the, the guy that we've interviewed recently, uh, Richard and Daniel Suskind, with the future of the professions. I think that that book is just an opening salvo. Absolutely. In, yep. in in a conversation that's probably another two, two or three decades in the making. Um, so I, I threw out two. Give, well, give me, give me one or two of yours. 
I would say on the business side, uh, on top of Clayton, who I love, Clayton Christensen, I'd say Gary Hamill is another yeah. guy who I think it keeps his, yeah. keeps one eye on the future. I got gotta say George Gilder. Um, I don't think no. anybody's as profound as as uh, Gilder is in in looking out. And um, I'd also say, you know, there's a guy that I really like, Don Tapscott, who who's coming out Ed with a book on the blockchain revolution, which is the technology that kind of undergirds Bitcoin. And I think he's a really interesting guy. He's kind of in the technology space, I believe, and and does a lot of interesting work. So Don Tapscott's another guy. And I'd also say. Just keep your eye on IBM's Watson uh, and, and follow what's going on with that, the whole machine learning, the whole AI. And the other thing I'm starting to read a lot about is Bitcoin, and, and but more importantly, the blockchain, because there's a lot of upstarts. In fact, I picked up a magazine at the Libertarian Conference called Why Bitcoin, small Why Bitcoin and blockchain. And mm-hmm. I'll tell you what, it's a fantastic magazine all sorts of resources and they talk and profile a lot of these startup companies and it really kind of gives you a glimpse into what's coming down the pike and these some of these technologies i believe are going to change the way we live and work no doubt about it mm-hmm. yeah so that, no, I, I i'm in agreement that's the there, that's just a short list I'd, I'd throw one other name in there ron and 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 i know that she's more about history but but i i still think that that her framing of history can continues to reframe my thoughts about the future, if that makes any sense. And that is Deirdre McCloskey, the first ever guest on the Soul of Enterprise. Which, honestly, folks, if you haven't if you haven't listened to that show, because I know we have a lot of the new listeners, and I think that was like around show ten. And you know, we'll put it in the show notes for this one. But it it it's it's a rock your world show. <laughs> it is. It is. She was our first guest, I believe. Yes. Yeah. First ever interview we ever did. Yeah, yeah, and she's just absolutely built brilliant. Yeah, Deirdre McCloskey. In fact, her new book, which is kind of the third one in the trilogy that she's done on bourgeois dignity and that type of thing, I think it's called Bourgeois Equality, is coming out, I believe, next month, or maybe it's next week. Um, but anyway, that that's kind of a partial list. I hope that helps you, Gear, and, and thanks again for the question. That That's just awesome. But, Ed, in that spirit, uh, what do we have next week? Well, we we have a fork in the road here, Ron. There's two possibilities. We're working on a guest, but if the guest doesn't pan out, at least for this time, we're gonna we're gonna talk about IBM's Watson, which I want I've been wanting to do a whole show on for quite some time. Just an absolutely fascinating thing. In fact, we're we're gonna be meeting with one of the people who is part of the Watson team at ITA. So hopefully, we'll get some really some fresh material on that. Oh, fantastic! Maybe we can get her on the show. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Oh, excellent. Right, well, Ron. look, I, I look I look forward to that, and I'll see you in 167 hours, Ed. Sounds good. This has been the Soul of Enterprise, Business and the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by Sage, energizing the success of businesses and communities around the world through the imagination of our people and smart technology. Join us next week, folks, on Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific. In the meantime, feel free to visit us at thesoulofenterprise.com, where we will post uh, full show notes on today, give you some of the articles that we mentioned and uh, some of the studies on the incidents of uh, taxation that we've discussed. And also, you can contact Ed or myself at asktsoe at verisage.com. Thanks for listening, folks. Have a great weekend. We'll see you next week. 
Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 